Hi, I'm Rory Greener from XR Today, bringing the latest in news and conversation from the extended reality space. Today, I'm joined by Amir Buzak Zadeh, co-founder and CEO at Virtually. Thanks for joining me today, Amir. Thanks for having me, Rory. Wonderful. To start us off, can you introduce Virtually, as well as the ways your unique brand of e-training helps to improve cognitive functions? Sure. Uh, virtual Leap is uh, a company that is combining the neurosciences with virtual reality and specifically to address a whole range of cognitive disorders like, um, you know, ADHD to rehabilitation. When, when it comes to traumatic brain injury, uh, we increasingly see what, what, what is described as long COVID, uh, unfortunately, neurological disorders due to things that we never even thought would have an effect on our you know, cognitive prowess. And, and yet we always, always as a company tend to gravitate towards what is the arguably the most impactful, negatively speaking, cognitive illness out there and it's Alzheimer's disease. So what we've done as a company is we're focused on how do we use emerging technologies to better profile and even serve as an earlier detection system for cognitive deterioration years and years before the clinical onset of these debilitating conditions happen. As a, as a product, what we've compiled is a library of VR games, cognitive games designed by our neuroscientists as translations of very standardized neuropsychological assessment tools into these short, fun, closed loop games that essentially test and train a range of cognitive abilities. We create games that are specifically targeting like very, very nuanced categories like working memory, short-term memory, episodic memory. And uh, the beauty of VR is that it's the first embodied digital format that literally my body, my autonomic nervous system, my vestibular balance system, my proprioception, all believe that the experience is real. And so we also have categories that are embodied like motor control, spatial audio awareness, spatial orientation. And, you know, I, I can go on uh, along with this, but the thing is that we are very agnostic to the applications of the technology and we've created a very sophisticated enterprise tool that our organizational partners tend to use for, let's say, clinical studies or training purposes. It really is um, a, a solution we've tried to make in one way, a gym for the mind. And in that sense, it's very much tailored also, not just for those specific, you know, at-risk populations, but also for longevity in general, for healthy aging as a lifestyle. Can people use us as a gym for the mind? It's a daily kind of exercise of 15 to 20 minutes uh, maximum just to get a sense and monitor their, their cognitive health. That's fantastic. Could you introduce us to some of those games that are on offer? Sure, like one of our games is, is called Magic Deck. It's an episodic memory training game, a, a type of uh, long-term memory uh, focused uh, game. It's based on, for example, the research of the University of Cambridge. Her team was led by Dr. Barbara Sahakian. And what they did was they created an episodic memory training game that was specifically focused on schizophrenia. And they found that when they made a person with schizophrenia play this game, neural activity in the region of the brain associated with schizophrenia, they witnessed it increase. And they found that the more the neural activity was increased, the, the, the symptoms would abate. And so that's an example. We always go for the bleeding edge of research or we try to translate neuropsychological assessments that have been around for a long time. We don't try to reinvent the wheel, but we try to bring those types of solutions and liberate them from the 2D screen-based world where the body is excluded, 
adherence is super low because engagement is super low. We try to bring all of that into an ecologically valid multi-sensory experience, which is what by definition virtual reality offers us. And all of our games are essentially these types of examples. Research translated into a, a compelling game that isn't too addictive, kind of like um, creating an experience that's like uh, uh, Mary Poppins, up, uh, you know, a, sh a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, like brushing your teeth. These are the types of uh, games we create. That's fantastic. How about user metrics and how do you track those metrics and do you use user metrics to improve the product over time? You know, when it comes to uh, virtual reality specifically, there's a lot of new issues with best practices and how do you design things to be maximally accessible and how do you maximize user comfort? We have a, you know, accessibility design expert uh, in our team, for example, that helps us to create initially some of these settings like, you know, colorblind settings, um, um, mobility restriction uh, settings so that we can ultimately make the games adapt to whether you're sitting or standing. A lot of those initial KPIs come in very much more on the design side. So when we work with our, you know, clinical partners or academic partners, we can do tolerability tests and make sure that these games in and of themselves are designed basing, using certain metrics that are more on the UX side. When it comes to the scoring system we created, we have a, a objective, uh, you know, system of scoring called the Enhanced Performance Index. It essentially allows us to weight all of the games in a particular way that is universal. And so you get an EPI score per game, per category, and then a, a universal EPI score that serves as an objective metric that a clinical practitioner can use as usefully as the, as the end user can rely on that same scoring system. But it's our own proprietary way of, of doing it. We, we typically um, have seen that the more and more users we have, we have about 38,000 early registered users at the moment, um, that the scoring system is, is quite uh, uh, accurate in the hypotheses that we've kind of put into the, the calculation and workup of it. I want to go back to what you mentioned about accessibility, because over the past couple of years, Meta have in, uh, introduced many new accessibility checks for their VR applications. I wanted to ask you, what is the importance of increased accessibility for AR, VR, MR applications and hardware in that regard? Before I got into uh, being a startup you know, entrepreneur, I was writing for VentureBeat and, and TechCrunch on VR specifically for about three, four years. Just, you know, no cash uh, involved in it. I just wanted to understand the space and find out where the critical use cases are and where the critical use cases are not. Uh, for example, I'm not a very big fan of, you know, entertainment uh, or, or, or escapism sort of experiences that typically VR is, is uh is um, described as I really my particular interest is uh, two categories healthcare and education and in these particular areas creating things with accessibility in mind especially when you're talking about uh, an experience that is engaging um, human circuitry that doesn't really know what's happening so you know when we talk about the FDA having just uh, in the last couple of years, created a new category for VR because of pain management being given breakthrough designation with applied VR. Um, for some reason in that context, when your visual sense is tricked into believing an alternative reality is real, the other senses dampen. For example, the pain receptor uh, receptors actually dampen. Now, we don't really understand why that is, but it should signal to everyone 
who's creating VR content that they should be very, very cautious and very, very careful and, and well-to-do with trying to figure out what those best practices are when you create an ecologically valid UX that is engaging people in such a way that for sure we have a company here, Virtually, that is designing these games to uh, ultimately treat people and help them, you know, transcend difficulties. But could you use like, you know, I think it was uh, Black Carbon, uh, no, um, there's Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon is a show on Netflix where you keep on seeing the the, the poor protagonist getting uh, being thrown into a VR torture chamber. You know, VR can ultimately create traumas, I'm sure. I can use Climb, for example, to help me with my phobia of heights, and I have done so. I've desensitized my, my fear of heights. I bet you we can create an experience in VR to give me or give some, you know, unwitting uh, user a fear of heights. So it's something that I feel very strongly about. I think, well, uh, there's been a lot of bad creators from the point of view of, of recklessness or, or, um, and maybe just naivety in what they're creating, but we are, uh, um, I think it behooves us to, to ultimately, uh, take much more consideration in, in applying best practices in design and discovering those uh, best practices step-by-step step because the technology keeps on unfolding so rapidly and no one can say they're an expert in VR design. I, I don't believe that for a second. It's so rapid in its hardware iteration that things are constantly in terms of the ground beneath us being lifted and shaked up and, and we just need to be very, very responsible and very conscious of the responsibility that we have as creators. And I'm sure there's going to be more responsibilities and more things to learn and adapt to as the technology emerges and as new solutions emerge as well. It's really startling. I think, you know, we call it um, people in the industry that are still alive, so to speak, since 2014, 2015, pretty much the, not the last wave. There's actually been a new wave, I would say, even started in the last year or two since COVID. And COVID has served as a really great a catalyst in some ways for the VR um, industry. But we really describe it as being in dog years. It's like, you know, two years of, of VR, there's been so many changes. It's so intense. It's so compact, that intensity of experience that you really do feel, even if you've been here, like, for example, myself uh, for about five, six years, it, it feels far larger because there's been that much disruption. There's been that many twists and turns. It's not like creating a 2D uh, typing with your fingers and thumbs experience. Uh, there, and there's so many players disrupting each other. There's so many uh, efforts to um, um, upend each other in terms of technology, in terms of the, uh, you know, the graphics or the processing or the standalones versus the non versus the, 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 the you know, the quality of secondary kind of uh, physiological sensors that are being, uh, sensors that are being integrated, like the HP Omniset, um, so much more processing brought in, connecting AI. I mean, it's, it's an insane sector to be because there's just so many darn intersections, um, at this hotspot. I think it's a very exciting place to be, definitely. I wanted to bring it back a little bit. I wanted to ask you the benefits of digital medicine and telehealth solutions, and specifically immersive telehealth and digital medicine solutions. When it comes to digital therapeutics or games as medicine, and, and, and I have to always um, refer back to Adam Ghazali and, and Achille Interactive and, and you know, um, um, Endeavor RX ultimately being the first game as medicine not that long ago, which is kind of like landing on the moon kind of news for this sector. Games as medicine is like 
it's the it's rock and roll right now. There's only a handful of these that are getting through the regulatory pathways, and it ultimately it's probably been very good for companies like Achille and any uh, companies like us that are trailing behind because of COVID, accelerating and greasing the wheels of, of the regulatory bodies that be. However, it's 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 hard to say when when we haven't had enough clinical studies out there. Um, um, to cross-examine the results of one or another, um, you know, you saw, for example, example, um, you know, certain certain drugs or certain things that might have not been approved if it weren't for these strange times um, that we are in. However, um, I think virtual reality serves as the Rolls Royce of the digital therapeutics uh, sector. I mean, why would anyone consider uh, a digital therapeutic, the gold standard of which being something that's screen-based? I mean. Uh, from anybody who, and I know I'm drinking the Kool-Aid uh, as a startup founder in this sector, but you know, VR is designed to be a replica and an imitation of how the native human UX relates to the world. How can that, a digital format that's spatialized, that all your system understands and relates to intuitively, and in terms of what that means in terms of the data quality and the engagement levels and, the, and, and, and whatever, any, any, give me any metric, except for accessibility, uh, sorry, ac um, accessing, um, you know, everyone has a, a smartphone in their, in their pockets. That's, that's the only, um, you know, benefit or, or advantage that a non-VR experience has. So when we talk about a VR solution for diagnostics or assessment or, or training or anything, any of these areas, um, we're talking VR is better in terms of outcomes of every kind. I don't know what, what study you want to use. VR's version is going to have better results. I, I would not believe for a second that it wouldn't. Now we're talking about healthcare and therapeutic applications that can actually have an effect on, this, uh, on the central nervous system of, of an individual. And you're telling me that a, a, a 2D screen-based uh, version or counterpart of a VR one can do better or equal? It's impossible. So VR is the Ferrari, is the Rolls-Royce of digital therapeutics. And I think in five to 10 years, you will see most of the, the creme de la creme of this sector being applied for all sorts of psychiatric, mental health, um, uh, rehabilitation use cases will all be virtual reality based and to a certain extent, maybe also AR based. That's fantastic. It's, it's great to see such passion coming from you on the subject, as well as just on the uh, in regards to the benefits as well. I can see it's something that you can see the effectiveness of. And it's great to see that passion. Thank you. I mean, it's very uh, easy when you're talking to uh, someone in the sector who appreciates it and, and um, um, I can feed off that if I've had an espresso shot, that helps too. <laughs> However, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, sector to be in when you don't actually have a mainstream market in most cases. Luckily, again, because of COVID, I think what we have seen is that uh, the education sector to some degree, but for sure the healthcare sector has embraced VR so for so many applications worldwide by the most leading neurologists and neuroscientists um, everywhere, from Walter Greenleaf at Stanford VR first and foremost, to um, you know Albert Skip Rizzo of UCLA. We have the best of the best kind of uh, people, leaders in this space, who have been actually working on VR for healthcare for probably four cycles now. So, you know, Skip and Walter have been working in this sector for 
I mean, since the nineties, literally. So, and in every wave of those, they had the same applications that were going at. They were applying it for PTSD. They were applying it for veterans. They were applying it for rehabilitation. And it was in the nineties, then in the next wave and the next wave. And really the applications were always not the ones at fault. It was actually just the mainstream market. It was the, the, you know, healthcare and education and training sectors that were not ready for it. It was the hardware not being light enough not being sophisticated enough and compact enough in some of the ways um, with the internet and, and, and mobile connectivity getting to the right stage as well. Ultimately, what I think is going to allow this time to be the, the main time that actually rests into the mainstream properly is one, these sectors like healthcare and education are being receptive for, for, you know, for bigger macro issues like COVID, but also it's the right timing, you know, knock on wood, for the next generation of connectivity in terms of 5G to allow to kind of come into play, allow for edge computing to take a lot of that processing from these somewhat still bulky headsets, make them lighter as a result because all the processing will happen on the edge servers. And that could be the, the coffin and the nail of that threat of this industry uh, slowing down again and having to wait longer. I think this is the right time because of that intersection specifically, um, uh, the intersection of, of COVID, and, and 5G and, uh, you know, uh, inflection point of people just appreciating it. That's uh, very well said. And I want to just divert it a little bit. I wanted to ask what plans do you have to extend or expand the virtually product as a business to business software as a service solution? So we have a lot of our eggs in the basket of the enterprise platform and not charging for the that B2C app, you know, which is available on App Lab for the Quest or Quest 2 or um, some of the other supported devices. It's, it's something that we keep free on the one end for the end user, but try to charge based on the value of the enterprise platform in terms of the data and all those applications that we have. We've, we've um, continuously uh, introducing new companion applications like we um, have brought out into beta version a remote control app. So you use your phone or, or a tablet or your PC and you have a low polygon version of the person in real time playing the game. As long as you have a Wi-Fi connection, you can be playing on the moon and having your, your doctor uh, navigating it. And he can see what you're doing. He can see your arms or um, 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 how you're performing. You can see actually we've integrated the HP OmniSets physiological sensors so they can see your cognitive load. They can see your stress levels in real time. So, uh, you know, we've added a, uh, another beta application called the survey engine. It allows you to add survey questions before and after the session, really good for clinical training kind of applications. Keep on building those kinds of, you know, tools and features for the enterprise side while we keep on growing the number of games on the brain training or monitoring um, and therapeutic side. In the next few months, we're going to be releasing the alpha version of a uh, standalone one-time assessment module that actually integrates into the same app, but serves as a complement. So you have the standalone uh, assessment module that you can do every three months. Uh, it will be locked out because it just wants to give you a snapshot, very standardized neuropsychological assessment of where you are right now um, for like a 20, 30 minute uh, uh, assessment. And then you have then in the meantime, this monitoring therapeutic uh, brain training uh, library that you can play for a maximum of, let's say 15, 20 minutes per day, if you see fit. But that's going to be something we launch while we keep on growing the list of games. And, and you know, um, I don't have much to say about it right now, but we do have in the, in the oven a, a secondary product line as well. Of course, still dealing with mental health 
and this kind of intersection of, of how VR can change the game and demonstrate that those super killer features that only spatial computing can offer. That's fantastic. Sounds upward, upwards and onwards as you just expand further and further into your um, expected markets. I'd like to thank you, Amir, for your time. And I wanted to ask what's the best way for our watchers to keep up to date with Virtually and everything that's going on over there. I am absolutely um, a big hardcore user. I, I, someone's getting insulted for this, but my number one social media thing is LinkedIn. You know, I, and, and uh, um, you know, following our LinkedIn page for Virtual Leap is where I always post first and foremost, and everything's there. Um, of course, we have a Facebook or a, an Instagram uh, pages, but that's you know, you know that I'm going to be adding my my most important stuff right away on LinkedIn, and you can. You know, also add me on LinkedIn, um, and I'm, I'm I'm very uh, active. In fact, I have a you know probably a, a traumatic experience with with LinkedIn. If I get a notification, I will see it right away and add you. So um, you'll get a good response there. You can also email me if you if you'd like to at Amir at virtualleap.com, um, and I'm I, I promise to uh, respond in a, in a timely manner. For our listeners, get more XR news by following our social pages. I'm Rory Green from XR Today. Thank you very much for watching.